What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 40, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Show and Tell. And you can find us on Google Play I was just thinking, Brent, we just hit episode 40. Oh, episode 40. Yeah, I just went blown right past that, didn't I? Yeah. Well, that's probably because I'm looking forward to like two episodes into our future. That's Ah, yes. And you know what? That'll be be our season uh, finale. How appropriate. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Okay, great. So, uh, you already know how to find us, dear listeners, but other people can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, and when they find us there, they can give us, well, you should, if you haven't already given us five stars and a positive review. I haven't checked to see if we haven't had any more reviews. So, uh, you But got, when you, you do that, it does help other people find us easier. Yes, so, and folks are finding us. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's, yep. it's starting to catch. It's pretty cool. And uh, you can also find us on Spotify Podcasts, and there's a little heart icon, I think. I don't know. I haven't checked it in a while. They could have changed it. They might have changed it to a piece of pie. I have no idea. Uh, Whatever is there, go ahead and engage with it so that uh, other people can find it as well. And uh, when those fine folks want to let us know that uh, that that they have done all their homework uh, and they're looking to get graded, Zach, how could they uh, how could they get a hold of us? Well, if you need to turn in your homework, then you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail dot com. That's w a l k i n g t h r o u g h t h e s t a r g a t e at gmail dot com. Nice. Yes. Uh, little little, so, little little step there right in the middle. Just little, little step in. The, yeah. Well, I didn't take a good deep breath. And uh, so that's like, right. That's right. So you did mention that. You know, and 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 we've talked about that before. And if you're going to do this, you got to take a deep breath beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, talk to us there or on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, go ahead and find our Facebook page and hit that nice little like button and the follow button. Uh, we're really bad about posting things, but we still have it, and <laughs> we would love to see you participate. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, um, and we also have a Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, go ahead and find that. Uh, there is a link, should be a link on our Facebook page to the group, or you can just search for the group. You should be able to find it. It's not that yeah. hard. Uh, join us there. Uh, we do get chatter there every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have noticed that there are some folks who ask questions, and then there are some folks like me who do a terrible job of answering said questions. <laughs> um, but don't be like me and answer said yeah. questions. Is that not always like you know the the, the sagest of advice? Do not yes. be like me. Be better yes. than me. Be better than me. So, dear gatewalkers, you need to get out there and do your part so that we can take over the world. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, we still have uh, we still have like um, positions opening or no? Oh, open. yeah, we, we we have a sous chef and a yes. musician. Yeah, <laughs> a maestro, not just a, a maestro. musician, a maestro, a yeah. maestro. Um, and, and and we have my brother's snarky comment about not trusting us to take over the world. Uh, I don't trust us to take over the world, but it's still uh, uh, clearly that is not a condition for world takeover. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I I, I guarantee I would be better than some. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, Brent, shall we dig into this episode of Show and Tell? Show and Tell. Let's do it. All right. This episode is directed by Peter DeLuise. Uh, we heard his name just a couple of weeks ago with The Serpent Song. Yeah. This uh, is his second directing credit of the series. This is his second directing credit of the season. This is his last directing credit of the season and not even close to his last directing credit of the series. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Remember, Peter has something on the order of 50 directing credits. Oh, that's right. This is this, is this uh, guy. Yep. Yep. Uh, he is the son of Dom DeLuise. Uh, he was, as I mentioned last time, he was born in 1966. And one of the things I like to do is I look at these, I try to figure out what some of his first things were. Sure. Peter's first acting credit was in the 1979 movie Hot Stuff, where he played Peter Fortunato. <laughs> and here is, here is uh, the description of Hot Stuff from 1979. Okay. When a police department's burglary task force is facing the possibility of being shut down because of their low conviction rate, three cops decide to try a new approach to apprehending their targets. Yeah. They take over a pawn shop where thieves go to unload their merchandise. Uh, they record them as they bring stuff in and get them to tell them where they got it. Uh-huh. Eventually, they are threatened by the mob. Is that not entrapment? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then, um, wonderful. This is a television show or a movie? This is a movie. Oh, okay. uh, it was directed by Dom DeLuise. This is oh, I see Peter's how it goes. Dad. I he also stars as the main character Ernie Fortunato. Mm. And so I'm pretty sure that Peter, who was like 13 at the time, is playing his son yeah. in the movie. Also, yeah. uh, Dom's uh, wife, at least at the time, uh, Peter's mother, also apparently uh, plays uh, his wife in the movie. Yep. Sure. So there you go. Why not? Sure. Hot stuff. Hot stuff. 1979. Right on. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, one thing I mentioned in the previous episode in Serpent Song is DeLuise likes to find himself in his own episodes. So when yeah. he directs a show, he likes to be in it. And this is the first episode where we see him finally. So we, okay. we have DeLuise sightings. And in this one... Uh, at the very beginning of the episode, when you've got all of the guns and folks pointed at the boy as he walks yes. through the Stargate, uh, you see one of the uh, gunners uh, kind of poke his head around one of those stations, one of the, the blast yep. shields, and yep. look at the boy, and that is Peter DeLuise. There we go. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, so that's cameo. what I have for Pete. Uh-huh. Uh, the teleplay for Show and Tell is by Jonathan Glasner. He's, of course, mm-hmm. one of the creators of the show. This is his eighth writing credit. Uh, this is the fourth he's had this season. He's got mm-hmm. one more this season, and he's got four more episodes in season three. Uh, okay. And then I think at the end of season three is when he bows out and goes on to something else, and Brad Wright takes over sole position in that. Gotcha. Um if you want to know more about Jonathan, then I invite you to listen to some of our other podcasts, where, especially the early podcasts when I talk a lot more about Jonathan Glasner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a couple of guest actors in this. Carmen Argenziano plays Jacob Carter and Selmac. Uh, right. This is, of course, Sam Carter's dad. Uh, 
so we have that going for us. He's back. I think this is the first time we've seen him since he became a Tok'ra. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the other guest actor is Jeff Gulka, who plays Charlie. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, yes. Jeff was born on January 1st, 1987 in British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is probably best known, uh, at least at this point in time, for playing a character on the X-Files. And if you give me just a moment, his character was Gibson Praise on the X Files. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He was in that one about the same time. Uh, he's also been in Once Upon a Time and Stan Helsing. Okay. Uh, I don't know anything about Stan Hel- Helsing, but I have seen at least a few episodes of Once Upon a Time when that right. came out. Uh, one of the cool things about Jeff uh, is he plays organ and piano for his band, The Wicks. Wait a minute. Do I know that band? I don't know that band, but you might. I don't know if I do. You, you keep going. I'm going to see if I know that band. Okay. Uh, so those are our guest actors. While Brent is figuring out whether he knows the Wicks, uh, Show & Tell was first aired on February 26th, 1999. Uh, number one in the charts in the U.S. was still Angel of Mine by Monica. Get off the charts, Monica. I agree. We don't want any more of that. And in the UK, they were listening to Britney Spears, Baby One More Time, which was number one a couple of weeks ago. Then they fell off last week to, I believe, Lenny Kravitz, if I recall correctly. Yes. And then uh, she came back to that spot there. By the way, I don't know uh, the Wicks. I don't know the Wicks. You don't know the Wicks. I don't know the Wicks. Uh, on the weekend of February 26, 1999, in the box office, they were watching number one, 8mm, uh, which, millime- is it millimeter? Yeah. I don't, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't be. know anything about that movie at all. Uh, so, uh, other than it has Nicolas Cage in it. So, if it's 8mm, wonderful. If it's, whatever it is. <laughs> Payback is number two. <laughs> The Other Sisters, number three, Message in a Bottle, and my favorite, Martian, round out the top five. So, there you on, go. at about this time, what was happening in the world. On February 23, a couple of days before this, hip-hop artist Eminem releases his first major record album, the S- Slim Shady LP. And apparently, he yep. got a Grammy in 2000. Yep. So... Uh, on the 24th were the t- 41st Grammy Awards, and My Heart Will Go On from Titanic, written by Lauren Hill, wins Best Song. Yeah. Uh, Although uh, we also, haven't, had, haven't had to hear that song in quite a while, which I'm good. I'm glad for. I'm, I'm okay for that. with that. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. But we, we, we had to deal with that for like three or four weeks, and then, yes. and then the show went on hiatus, and then when the show went on hiatus... Uh, we didn't have to listen to it anymore. Yes. Yeah, we, we had a reprieve. Yes. Also on the 24th of February, 1999, the state of Arizona executes Cara Legrand, who was a German national involved in an armed robbery. In an armed robbery. He wasn't trying to ar- rob arms. <laughs> <laughs> in an armed robbery. <laughs> this is a stick up. Give me your arms. I need what? your arms. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, not yours. Just those mannequin arms. <laughs> those I want them. that big pile of mannequin arms right there. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them in the back of the truck. <laughs> hurry. <laughs> hurry. Hurry. All right. Uh, now, in spite of this, 
uh, in spite of this execution, uh, this was in the middle of Germany's legal action to try to save him and pre- presumably bring him back to Germany. Yeah, uh, right. But that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. On February 26th, uh, that is the air date for this episode, the 15th Soap Opera Digest Awards occurred, and General Hospital wins. Ooh. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Wins all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Probably best soap opera. Welcome to the 15th annual Soap Opera Digest Awards. And now the category of everything. The winner is... General Hospital. I'd like to thank my producer and the actors and... Alright, sorry. That, that's that's the shortest award ceremony you have ever seen. Oh, that would be delightful. I yes. would watch that. And then finally, on February 27th, Olesegun Obasanjo becomes Nigeria's first elected president since 1983. Wow. Yeah. So, good on you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to do a few trivia things to bring into this episode, Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll notice, recall that uh, they used that that uh, Tolan device yep. to contact the uh, Tokra. Yes. Uh, of course, it's the same prop they used in the episode The Knox when we first see it. Um, and not only that, but it's also the same basic footage used in... Uh, yeah. Enigma. Yeah. Where, where just kind of you got those veins that go into the earth and then shoots off into the sky. Yeah. Uh, so rather than recreating the wheel, they used the same footage from that episode, which mm-hmm. makes tons of sense. It does make sense. Yes. Uh, so this here is a little story from uh, the Illustrated Companion. Uh, Peter DeLuise says he's used to working with kids and animals. Uh, or kids and insects in this case. Um, and he was trying to get on to uh, Jeff Golka's good side. And so one of the ways he tries to endear himself to him, to Jeff was by buying him a video game mm-hmm. so that he would know that uh, Peter is a cool guy. Right. But uh, uh, while Jeff was certainly into video games, he was really more interested in girls at that point in time. And so, <laughs> yeah, there uh-huh. you go. Uh-huh. So, uh, Jeff. Thanks for the video uh, game, actually, Peter, but uh, <laughs> introduce me to Ms. Dapping over there. Hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, actually, actually, uh, Jeff in this episode is actually about 13, even though he looks like he's 10. Yeah, even better. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and Sorry, one of the things guy. I noticed as I was looking through stuff, um, you know, of course, this episode is titled Show and Tell. And in yes. different languages, they have different titles. Italian, it's Mostra e Racconta. I have no idea if I said that correctly, but that's also Show and Tell. Uh-huh. In German, it's Neue Feinde, which is New Foes. Oh, yeah. Uh, French, I'm not going to butcher French, but uh, it would be The Invisible en- Enemy. Uh, Spanish uh-huh. is also invisible threat. Czech is invisible enemy. Uh, <clears throat> Hungarian is hide and seek. And in Russian, huh. it is tell and show. Tell and show. 
Yeah, interesting. Because it, it's it's you know they, they they do things backwards. It's not show and tell. Yeah, I you, I was trying to avoid that. <laughs> thanks for thanks for saving me that uh, that, that yeah, there dignity you go. there. <laughs> Interesting. Right. I do like how different movie titles, or so, yeah, movies, but shows as well, will uh, have almost completely different titles in other languages. Sometimes, in part because the you know the the the, the mother language, it doesn't translate well because it's like a phrase. I imagine right. it's a it's the problem that like if you were to translate the when we see show and tell, we know what we're talking about, right? Like, that there's a kid involved, that there was this, like, you know, the hidden enemy thing. You know, like, there's a lot in there. And so, but it makes sense that there wouldn't be a a, 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 a corollary, a direct translation corollary in French, for example. Right. Um, that said, the invisible enemy kind of gives away the plot. <laughs> it puts it on the nose. It does. Yeah, but that's the French. Um, yeah. We do have a couple of goofs in this episode. Um. When O'Neill, Jackson, and Plunkett are searching the hallways for the Rebel Ritu, Plunkett yeah. gets hit with the Ritu blast. However, uh, if you look carefully, you can see that the blast pattern on the door that outlines where he is is already there before he gets hit. <laughs> I didn't think. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> uh, I looked for it. Uh, I missed it, and I didn't have a chance to zip through and, and try to find it, but uh, I believe that that's there. Um, also, uh, in one of the final scenes, uh, when looking for the rebel team of Ritu, O'Neill and Jackson enter the room containing Charlie and his mother, and in that room they find two of the rebels. Um, and yet, uh, Charlie and Charlie's mother should have been able to see those rebels. But apparently they don't until Jack and Daniel arrive. So, um, I wouldn't necessarily call that a goof as much as I would call that bad writing. If Fair enough. I well, may tip my hand just a little. Okay, fine. Um, uh, whatever it is, it, it yeah. it's a logical flaw. It's a, it's a logical flaw. All right. So that's what I have for the goofs. Yes. All right. Are you ready to dig into the synopsis here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is, once again, originally from the Stargate Command Wiki, uh, and I have tweaked it here and there as necessary or desired. At Stargate Command, it seems to be a normal, quiet day when an unscheduled activation of the Stargate occurs. Strangely, oh no. the iris continues to open even after regular attempts to keep it closed. I did not tell you to open the iris. I did not open the iris, sir. As SGC personnel are trying to keep the iris closed and failing, a young boy steps through the gate. Standing on the ramp with dozens of guns pointed in his direction, he waits. SG-1, along with Hammond, approach him. Carter steps close and checks the boy for any obvious Gua'uld tricks. She finds that he is neither Gua'uld nor Jaffa. The boy then claims that he was sent to warn the humans of Earth. After further examinations to make sure he doesn't have a small gate-destroying bomb or poisoned teeth like the other alien children they've come across, uh, the boy tells them that his mother wants him to talk with Colonel Jack O'Neill alone. 
Once everyone leaves, the boy tells O'Neill that his mother has been watching SG-1 and has deemed O'Neill trustworthy. He takes on the name of Charlie after O'Neill's son. Charlie comes from Retalia, where an invisible alien race, the Ritu, live. The Gua'uld regard the Ritu as a possible threat and have been trying to wipe them out. As a genetically engineered human, Charlie's rapid growth is failing. And it is nece- was necessary for him then to come to Earth immediately, even though the plan was to wait for him to grow a little bit older. He explains that his mother kept the iris open for him, and that a rebel faction of the Ritu wants to defeat the Gua'uld by destroying all humans, thus depriving the Gua'uld of potential hosts. SG-1 calls the Tok'ra with a Tolan inverted phase communicator, and soon Jacob Carter and another Tok'ra arrive. After a quick explanation of the situation, the other Tok'ra returns to their planet to get some devices called transphase eradication rods and brings them back to Earth. The DERs can be used to detect and, if necessary, kill Ritu. After confirming Charlie's story about his mother, yes, she really does exist, the team learns more about this new threat by sitting around a conference table and listening to exposition from the Tok'ra. These rebels usually operate in small five-member suicide squads, and they have the capability of doing a ton of damage to Earth. It's time for some reconnaissance and intel. Charlie gives the SGC the coordinates for the rebel base. SG-1, along with several other SG teams, and the Tok'ra gate to the planet in question, and although it looks clear, as they approach a hill, Selmak emerges, informing Jack that the Ritu are present. Taking cover, the team edge closer to the cliff, and by using a TER discover... A large group of Ritu rebels, which leaves the team and Jacob stunned. There are way, way more than five or ten Ritu there. They return to the SGC to inform Hammond of the troubling news. They assess this threat as very high. To prevent any Ritu rebels from returning or even accessing the gate, Sam installs a palm scanner into the iris control. While she's working, they realize they're too late. When Teal's symbiote has a strong reaction to something in the control room, a Ritu rebel squad has already infiltrated the base. Carter puts the base on lockdown, but the rebel attacks, killing the other Tok'ra and nearly killing Teal'c before Teal'c is able to use the TER to take out the rebel. The SGC begins to sweep the base to find and eliminate the Ritu rebel threat. Breaking up into small teams, they begin to systematically close off sections of the base, searching for the invisible threats. After several red shirts die and Jacob gets injured, two more Ritu rebels are killed. In the infirmary, Charlie's mother finds and shoots a rebel, only to be killed killed herself by the final member of the five-member Ritu rebels. Mother's death is devastating to Charlie, but the imminent threat is taken care of when Jackson finishes off the final rebel. With the Ritu rebel threat uh, taken care of, for now, focus shifts back to Charlie. He is dying, and there's nothing Dr. Fraser can do. The Tok'ra offer to take him with them. A blending with a symbiote will give Charlie the chance to survive. 
After saying goodbye, Jacob and Charlie depart through the gate. The end. The end. So, Brent. Hmm. Show and tell. Yes. What'd you think? That's about what I thought about it. <laughs> so I thought the um there was there was a lot of stuff in here that was good. Um and but then there was an awful lot of stuff in here that was just kind of stinky. Um and so like the good parts I um I enjoyed a little bit of the emotional ex- exhibition of um uh Jack O'Neill, you know, like mm-hmm. dipping a little bit more into his emotional state, his willingness to be a father figure to somebody. Like uh, his pragmatism, even with that request, that you know that 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 was that was pretty cool. Um, I liked. Uh, I very much, even though there was a little bit much, you know, I, I liked the techno babble. Um, I like. Uh, I like the devices that are coming in. You know, I like the. Uh, you know the, the 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 increasing complexity of the uh, bad guys that could be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked. Um, you know, I liked watching the um, you know the, the the word worship popped in my head. It's not a good word for this, but like kind of watching the SGC continue to evolve with sophistication. It's mm-hmm. starting to become a thing. Like the SGC is starting to become something of a character, and so like you know having the palm scanner installed is 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 a piece uh, that was kind of neato. I laughed when she was flipping on the switches because uh, because my parents had that exact same surge protector when I was growing up, um, and so <laughs> right I knew what that prop was as soon as I saw it. Um, and you know there was there, there was a lot in here that was that was that was pretty fun the little the little final battle was definitely tense um you know i was i was sitting there like you know they were they were they were framing it up a little like a horror movie you know the 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 bad guy that you can't see uh uh which was which was fun hmm. but boy the writing was just kind of all over the place like there was a lot of little bits that didn't make a lot of sense uh, or, you know, that a lot of logical leaps that a person really had to make big time. Um, the, uh, you know, that, 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 that mother happened to be opening that. I, you know, she genetically engineers this human with the express purpose of communicating with the humans. And then when it's go time, she's basically presuming that she's going to be able to get that iris open fast enough and keep it open fast enough for her precious her precious creation to make it through without accidentally getting there when the iris was closed and going splat. So, you know, that was a little strange. Like, once I finally realized what was going on there, I was like, oh, that, you were taking a bit of a gamble on that one. Uh, if it's not a gamble, if there are more than one Charlies out there, then what about the others? <laughs> like, and there's that. Um, the TERs were pretty cool, but they also seem to be weirdly powered. Um, like, if you're able to cast a beam that illuminates or reveals the presence of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Ritu at a distance of several football fields, like, it's it seems a little weird that it, I get it. You're in an enclosed space in the SGC, but you know it still seems a little odd that you couldn't. It just felt like it was underpowered in the SGC and overpowered when they were on the planet. Also, what the heck were all those Ritu doing? They're just hanging out in the middle of a deserted field. Like, I bet, I bet 
that we're probably going to see the Ritu again, but we'll hope maybe, I don't know. But if we do, and if they expand upon these people, these people, um, beyond what we have been given right now, I might look back on this episode a little like that one episode in Star Trek The Next Generation where the Ferengi are first introduced, and they're really, like, vicious and weird and, and like, almost uh, animalistic uh, in that very, very first episode, which I think right. might have been even season one. Um, yep. Whereas later, they become much more complex and interesting, and, you know, they're still just as easy to revile, but... Uh, there's just the, the richness is just expanded upon enormously. I'm wondering if the same thing might happen with the Ritu. Right now, they were just a bunch of insectoid, sentient creatures in the middle of a desert. Like, what? Like, holy cow! Look at there's hundreds of these rebels, and then like, and then a suicide team of five was just like hanging around the gate, like, and they managed to slip through. Like, I get it for the story purpose, but on the same token, like the the logical leap that has to happen from a group of 200 Ritu rebels that are oblivious to your presence to transition into uh, you knew that you weren't going to be able to see them. So you're using your TERs to sweep the area as you're going back through the gate. And yet you still fail to notice five of them getting through. Um, Also, it was opportunistic of the Ritu, which might make sense, but talk about really opportunistic like holy cow here we go here like you know now we know that this is the gate back to earth and and this is our opportunity and then why didn't they just like when they were starting to get like totally cornered why didn't they just set loose some of their nuclear devices and obliterate like i because then it would close the gate maybe i don't know like there was there was an awful lot of that where i had to be going like why why is that going on that's a little weird i'm a little confused uh, not confused as in I don't understand what the story is saying, but just confused like I've got to be making some weird logical leaps for this to work, um, I think. And uh, then the then Charlie, um, it's weird. Like when it's Cassandra, I was all about the emotional manipulation. I was there. <laughs> like it's like, yep, let's do this. With Charlie, I was a little like it. It felt. It felt a little more forced, and I'm not sure why. Maybe hmm. that's just me. Um, but I mean the manipulation part. The manipulation part, which was obvious in both cases, was seemed to be more natural with Cassandra than it felt with Charlie. And maybe it was because I noticed that, quote, Charlie's theme. I don't know if that was actually what the song was called in the and the soundtrack but you know charlie's theme was playing as soon as the hood dropped and every time we see charlie we get that little wistful piano thing playing in the background like every time mm-hmm. um and so you know maybe that was it i was like really aware of the audio cue that they were using for him and so i was like okay come on guys this is a little over the head um but it just felt uh, you know it just didn't quite feel quite that genuine oh and then kind of to top it off Wherever the um, wherever the Tokra are right now, it really does feel like it's the refrigerator where we're going to put characters that we want to save for later. We'll just put them over there uh, because Jack, not Jack. Um, what's his name? Who's Jacob. the Jacob? Jacob's sitting over there in the CRISPR section, and now so is Charlie. <laughs> so, like it, it stands to reason. It makes sense, but on the same token, it's almost a little bit convenient. That's like hey, here's a character that we don't actually want to kill, but we need to get off of our off of our radar for a while. I know. Put him with the Tok'ra. There we go. Problem solved. Like, because now we're going to have Jacob 
uh, Jacob the Tokra and potentially Charlie the Tokra. Charlie the superhuman, quickly, uh, uh, you know, hyper hypersensitive, <laughs> soon to be joined <laughs> with a with a with a larva or somebody with a ghoul of some kind. Uh, uh, is that the name of the worms themselves? The ghoul. Yeah, because the Tokra are insistent that they are not ghoul. So which. So, um, um, the difference genetically between the Tokra and the Gua'uld is non-existent. Yeah, yeah so um, they would be both, like, humans, unquote. These right. are the French and these are the English. Exactly. Right. Uh, now, so, the, yeah. the, the difference between the two uh, has to do with ideologically, ideology and and how they uh, operate in the world. Uh, the, right. The, the Gua'uld are, are megalomaniacal uh, and are willing to use whatever things they have to uh, uh, force themselves, you know, to gain power and prestige. Uh, the, the Tok'ra are much more cloak-and-daggery, um, you know they they don't take hosts unwillingly, as a general rule. Um, you know, so uh, yeah. The I mean, when you get down to it, uh, a human is a human, and a human's going to do what a human's right. going to do. Right. Um, and as, as the show progresses, we'll learn that. Uh, um, you know, whatever else the Tok'ra say, they are Gua'uld. And you can right. begin to start seeing that there are uh, similarities between how they do what they do, uh, but they do it sure. for different reasons and they have different justifications for it. Uh, for instance, the arrogance of the the Gua'uld, uh, we've already seen some of that in, in the Tok'ra. Uh, yes. That seems to be a trait of this particular species, and right. it doesn't matter if you grew up in Russia or if you grew up in the United States, you're going to be arrogant. Right. Um, <laughs> That's almost perfectly apt. That was that was that was that was that was spot on. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, so those are some of the, the the relationships there between the Tok'ra and the Gua'uld. Yeah, um, but I just recognize that I guess I was, uh, if if the Tok'ra's insistence that they are not Gua'uld would be akin to the English insistence that they are not French, uh, then I would be accidentally calling the entirety of the human race French, right? Like, the if um, Tok'ra is to Gua'uld as English is to French, and therefore, when we are talking about the entirety of the Gua'uld, it would be like mistaking humans for French. Um, perhaps. Um, keep in mind that that Stargate does as Star Trek does, and as pretty much every Star Wars does the same thing, every science fiction thing does it. Uh, they turn alien species into uh, monolithic... Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so like, right. uh, it doesn't make sense that basically all Vulcans have the same culture. 
it doesn't make sense. And yet, right. apparently, they do. That's true. Yes. You know, right. Uh, when, right. when you talk about the Ferengi, <laughs> the Ferengi all have the same culture. Right. Uh, and yet, when we talk about the humans in Star Trek world, uh, there is a difference in culture depending on where somebody's from. Right. Uh, you, we recognize those differences. Um, and in like manner, uh, the Gua'uld, you know, the system lords and all of that is basically one culture. Um, yeah, or at least at right. this point in time, it's treated as one culture. Yes. Um, uh, and the Tok'ra is completed or treated like a, a monolithic culture is separate than the, the Gua'uld. So good on you for creating two groups of people with a totally different culture that are in fact the same species. So good on you. Sure. Um, yeah, that got us, that got us off track a little bit though. It did. Um, I'm going to talk about this episode. Yeah. What do you bit. think about this? episode? All right. So I clearly like this episode more than you. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, to me, um, uh, this episode revolves around Charlie and specifically it revolves around the relationship between Charlie and Jack. So this becomes an episode where we explore a little bit about, uh, Jack's emotional state. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can tell, uh, early on, um, you know, I mean, when we first meet O'Neill, uh, he has been utterly crushed, flattened like a pancake because of the death of his son. He can't right. function anymore. Right. Um, even when we get into the TV show, uh, there he's beginning to heal, but that's still a really big, strong wound that that uh, uh, is is you know, and it will always be there for him, mm -hmm. obviously, but. Uh, it's still very, very fresh and open. Uh, this is an episode where we get to see uh, some of that healing become, begin. Um, and also you see a little bit of transference because he, you know, when this boy comes and then asks, hey, can you be my dad? And can, can I be called Charlie? Um, uh, you know, then when he, at the end, O'Neill is able to say, can we do something? We have to do something. Mm -hmm. And and uh, when ja Jacob says, you know, let me take him with us, and we'll we'll give him a symbiote. Yes, he's young, but uh, but the symbiote will be able to heal him, and and he'll be able to grow up. Um, that 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 becomes a way for O'Neill to be able to a say goodbye to his own son, and also mm. feel like he has been able to do something to. Yeah. To bring a bookend to that, um, I'm okay with that. I, I kind of like that story. Um, the whole Ritu stuff is a little thin. Um, uh, you know, you need some sort of science fiction. Uh, we we learn that that the Ritu mother first discovers them on uh, Tunani's planet, right in the episode Spirits, right, right. Um, and. It sounds almost as if she followed them to Earth uh, at that point in time. 
So then the question, right. has she been wandering around the base since then? Uh, yeah. How many episodes has that been? That, that's been... Right. Um, that was the 13th episode. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was seven episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's a long time for her to running around. And did she did create we have, uh, Charlie did, prior to Did we to not that? have uh, time dilation in the middle of that whole thing, too? So... Uh, so actually, it's been like years. <laughs> That's true. Been wandering no, around for no, years. Not years. They they only lost about three weeks in that process. Okay. All right. Fine. 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 All right. Fine. Um, All right. Uh, but yes, we did have time dilation in that period. Um, <laughs> did she create Charlie ahead of time uh, to be because obviously the Ritu rebels are going to be trying to kill uh, humans all over the place, not just the humans of Earth, right? And right. so maybe she created Charlie ahead of time just to talk to humans. Who knows? But how is she communicating with them? Um, yeah. uh, there, there's definitely some questions there. Um, and since that's not really what the story is about, uh, they don't answer those questions. And they just kind of hang there, and you have to go, huh? It doesn't really quite make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, this is where you're right. Some Some cleaner writing... Um, and, and and not necessarily writing so much as as a uh, uh, sloppy RPG storytelling. <laughs> nah, yeah, <laughs> you enter a room and you see a nurse, Charlie, and two soldiers. Okay, I roll perception. You see bad guys. Oh no! And nobody bothers to say, "Wait a minute, weren't those other guys supposed to see these bad guys too?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you know, so so there are certainly some plot holes there. I love the acting that Jeff Gulka does as Charlie. I think it is just genuine. You you can, I mean, he looks and he sounds and he acts like he's a boy that is not well. Yeah, um, and uh, he certainly loves his mother, and mm-hmm. you know that's a strong relationship for him. Um. Which is kind of cool in its own right. Um, you know, there, there's, there's actually no conversation this whole episode about how can that creature be his mother. Uh, maybe there's a throwaway line there, but then it's immediately just accepted. Okay, that creature's his mother. Wonderful. Moving on. Yeah. Um, which actually, right there, has something to say with um, interracial slash species um, familial organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that is something that you know can be looked into. It. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily uh, intrinsically there, but you can go that direction. Sure. Um, uh, but then you know, you know the way the way he interacts with O'Neill. You mentioned O'Neill's acting in this. I thought that Charlie's acting was really good in this. Um, I loved the the the. Uh, for crying out loud, when there's just so much noise, <laughs> he's wait he's what going, now? Well, okay, there's oh yeah, that one. That's right. right. He's sitting that's in the right. bed. There, there's noise happening. People are moving yes. around, and he doesn't feel good. And he just wants yes. to be. And he's like, he's mimicking O'Neill. He's like, oh, for yes. crying out loud! Yes, I love that yes. moment. That's such yeah. a great moment. That was a good moment. That moment right there is enough to like this episode. That one right there. 
Um, I think that might be a bit of a stretch, but I see what you're mean. <laughs> um, I, I also love, um, you know, one of the things that we're dealing a lot with in our culture right now is toxic mascul- masculinity. Mm-hmm. And here you have mother saying to Charlie, uh, I understand that boys in your world aren't supposed to cry. And then you have uh, O'Neill uh, as a wonderful parent and male role model says, you know what? No, uh, there right. are hundreds. There's a whole list of reasons why why men can cry, and yep. then he goes through this. Um, and you know, I mean, th- there's certainly a little bit of tongue in cheek. There's this this sense of of trying to connect the child and and just kind of uh, chuckle at it. And yet, there's also some real seriousness there. And this coming out in the late '90s, mm-hmm. um, you know. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a real big deal. No, I noticed that too. Yeah, and and uh, uh, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that it was O'Neill that was delivering that. Right, like right. It would not have w- been the same. It would have come across wrong if Fraser or uh, right. Carter had done that. It probably would have worked hypothetically if Daniel had said that. But Daniel is also the uh, compassionate, empathetic character already. Exactly. So right. for him to do that, you could easily step away from that. So for the leader of the group and uh, the character that represents the most masculine of masculinity, um, I mean, I suppose you can make the argument Teal does that too, but uh, <laughs> uh, but still, you know, was, for I was just gonna, I was going to let that one go. But anyway, carry on. You know, but I know what you're saying. Uh, we have uh, we have friends of the show that are currently like you know just 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 like screaming at their li- their 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 listening device going, Jack O'Neill is the height the height of masculinity. That's true. I, we actually do have. <laughs> we'll yes. be doing that. Um, so uh, so so you know for him to voice that um, actually speaks volumes. Uh, not only in the 90s, but also in you know, 20 years later in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned this. When, when we do get the rebels on the base, um, which I agree with you, it doesn't make any sense that that rebel base... Uh, the only answer that I can possibly give is that the rebels had snuck onto the base already. That this particular rebel yeah, group yeah, yeah, yeah. Was not yes. the, did not come directly from uh, the planet where they went to. Uh, probably, you know, did eventually. Um, but, you know. You're right. So that makes more sense. If that's the case and that they have been around sneaking around, um, you know, that, that makes more sense. Although, if that's the case and if this is a group that's trying to do the most amount of damage to an area, why are they skulking around, if they've already been on the base for a while, why are they skulking around the SGC? Um, because what they want to do is get off the planet, or off the base, and into the general population where they can actually do damage. And if they mm-hmm. want to continue to do damage, then they can't destroy the SGC because that's how they get onto the planet. Right. Um, so uh, how they get on doesn't really make sense. 
Um, and certainly the whole idea of, uh, yeah, hey, there's two Ritu rebels in the room, and the two people who actually can see them without any assistance don't notice them. Right. <laughs> Apparently they I mean, both just... rolled major ones on right. their... <laughs> I mean, which which is like remotely possible, but I just you know, it it's also possible. The story, this story probably would have been better uh, had they've done more focusing on Charlie and Jack. I think you're right. When I strip away what I thought this episode was kind of more or less about, I thought that. Charlie was more of a trope than the driver of the episode. Um, yeah, and I stand by that original assessment because uh, it, it uh, certainly does seem like uh, Charlie is there to tell the SGC about the Ritu. Charlie is there to act as an intermediary between Mother and the uh, and SG One, etc. Uh, Charlie is uh, uh, kind of exhibiting a story arc that that seems to indicate that he is going to be a one and done character. Um, uh, you know, Charlie is there to show us a little bit more about Jack O'Neill, but that's kind of it. Like there was a, there there there's a, I think there's a valid read on it that says that Charlie actually isn't the main story. But if I flip that around and I say no, Charlie is the main story. It's the Ritu that are the ancillary things here, um, and everything about the Ritu are ancillary. Then how the episode got framed up and communicated, I think, starts to make a bit more sense. Like, mm-hmm. oh, of course that there are some gaps in how we're handling the Ritu because the Ritu weren't the point. Um, uh, we weren't supposed to care that this rebel contingent seemed to slip in unnoticed when the whole point of the recon mission was to not get caught unawares. Um, like, that is a more forgivable error to make if that wasn't the main point of the story. If the main point of the story was, let us uh, get jack o'neill into a situation where he can advance his personal healing as it relates to the death of his son uh in in meaningful substantial ways including moments where he can be a father again and moments where he can actually make a decision that will help a child for whom he has grown an attachment to Uh, i think i got my prepositions mixed up um that makes more sense um that's that makes the story but be- i think it makes the episode mm-hmm. better um uh my appreciation of the episode is going up because of that i think that they could have tightened that up even a little more maybe gotten uh, maybe not get so distracted with the ritu as a setup for that story uh i think that that part kind of drags it down a little bit um but if i change my focus uh the episode just got better yeah and now that's pretty cool. I, I will I will uh, wager that you know if I were to be a fly on the wall in the writers' room as they were discussing this episode, uh, I suspect that the episode ideas began with the Ritu or something along the lines of the Ritu. Uh, sure. Probably the idea of having some sort of uh, terrorist group. I mean, there there's another question about terrorism. I mean, you could talk about that. Uh, they don't yeah, really dig I, into it, but it's mentioned. Right. Um, I suspect that they started there, and then as things built, the character of Charlie came in, 
and that story. So in that regard, your original assessment would be accurate um, uh, about what the focus of the story is. However, I think when you finally look at what happens on the on the screen, uh, the the compelling storyline uh, is the compelling storyline is Charlie. Yes. Um, that, that's the compelling story. Um, and, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought here a little bit. Um, you know, that's even if, so you kind of have, oftentimes in TV, you have an A story and a B story. Right. And, and in this one, it's hard to say is, Charlie the A story or the right. Ritu the A story, right? And which one's the B story? And it's really hard to tell because uh, in this one, usually the A story is a bulk of it, the major part of the story, and the B story is smaller. So you yep. have, uh, you know, time wise, you, you worry about the B story for ten minutes and and the A story for twenty five minutes or whatever right. it is. Um, but when you think about it, the 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 st- the stuff with Charlie and the stuff with the Ritu are almost equal. So which one's the A story? Which one's the B story? Mm-hmm. If you turn the Ritu into the A story, then all of the things that we've talked about um, are almost unforgivable. Yeah. I mean, that's where I was going at it. Yeah. But if Charlie becomes the A story... And the B story is this Ritu stuff, and that's just, you know, I'm going to put a couple of pieces of scaffold here and there so that it'll prop up my A story. Right. Then, uh, while they don't go away, those problems still exist. Right. For me, they become more forgivable. Yeah, I would, yes. Yeah. And this is, uh, I think... In my opinion, this is one of the best parts about art. And people are like, what? That's a hard left turn. And it's like, hold, hang on. Stay with me, friends. Um, I'm right there uh, with you. Uh, I've heard uh, many people say that like, when artists create art, if ever, they, uh, if ever they think that they own the thing after they've released it, they're wrong. Like The whole point of art is that it takes on such uh, individual meanings for those who, who absorb it. And that those individual meanings could even coalesce into a cultural meaning and none of them were what you intended. And so you'll get artists that intentionally work with that idea by creating something that's extraordinarily abstract and not give any guidance as to what they were envisioning when they created it. And, uh, the joy of that art then is watching the culture create something around it and then watching that change over time. Um, versus, Mm -hmm artists who create something extremely specific and they intend for the world to see it in their way and you know sometimes artists achieve that and sometimes they don't and and so there's a tension there and so that's also enjoyable when watching that tension so when it comes to television stories it is a you know they are stories it is an art and the odds are really darn good that the that the intended message was to be a little bit uh, probably a little 50-50, but you know, the Ritu were a big part of it. And advancing the uh, relationship with the Tok'ra was a piece of it. And getting more technology was a smidgen of it. And uh, you know, all those things that I was mentioning before were intended to be part of the story. But now the story's out in the wild. And now that a couple of guys just got done yakking about it for a little bit, uh, <laughs> the, the story itself actually morphed 
um, whether or not it was intended to morph in that direction, where Charlie became the A story, as you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it is a more enjoyable piece of art. It's a more um, compelling moment of engagement. Whereas before I was like, yeah, all right. I mean, sure. I've got some, got some new knowledge and this thing has happened. Great. The end. Um, now I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, rewatch the episode right away just because I haven't done that with any episodes, but you know, right. part of me is kind of curious to go back and watch the thing over again. Uh, but really focusing in on Charlie and Jack as the main storyline. And the retu is just superfluous junk so that, you know, yeah, you can be sitting on a ridge and see hundreds of Ritu off in the distance. And, you know, why are they there? Who cares? You know, like, how did five of them get back to the gate? Nobody cares. Like, that's not the point. The point The point is this kid. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to add to that. Yeah, neither um, do I. I think I'm glad we had this conversation. It, it, it enhanced my enjoyment of the episode. Wonderful. Which is kind of the point. Yes, absolutely. It's like, you know, when you talk about art uh, with people and you wrestle with the potential meanings therein and uh, ask the questions of it and uh, see it from different perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost as if it comes alive and and greater meaning is found by all in the process yep. Yeah. of wrestling with it. Totally. Um, you know, that, that right there already is is a morality tale into perhaps how we should engage our world and the people in it um, with a chance to listen and learn. Um, now I'm going off the rails and so I'll stop. Yeah, but you know what? That sounds <laughs> like, uh, it sounds like we should be like, uh, like having a little bit like the more, you know, star flying through the air right now. Like, Absolutely. you know, a nice, a nice little like, and there you go, friends. That's why we like to talk with each other. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. Thanks for watching. Like, <laughs> I think that that should just, yeah. boom, we should just end it. <laughs> just stop the whole thing right now. Okay. So, uh, if that's where we're just going to stop the whole thing, then stop I it. have to ask you, Brent, show and tell, out of seven chevrons, how many chevrons does it get? I was barreling straight at three chevrons. I was going right at it because it was like, yeah, I mean, there's some cool stuff that happened here. And sure, there's enough interesting bits and bobs that, that you know, I think are going to pay off. But it was done in kind of a weird, sloppy way, and as a result, it's not particularly good. But having had our conversation, I'm not willing to crank up the goodness meter quite a whole lot. But changing my focus from the Ritu to Charlie absolutely does make this a more uh, enjoyable episode. And what originally I thought was kind of a lame little like gimmick of you know shoving a character into the fridge... Now it's I actually want to engage with the character of Charlie some more so that he is in. Uh, d- does that planet even have a name? I don't even know where they're at right now. We don't uh, know the ch- where the Tok'ra go. Okay. So wherever the Tok'ra are at, <laughs> we don't know where the Tok'ra go. <laughs> that sounds like an axiom. <laughs> where does the Tok'ra go? No one knows where the Tok'ra go. Um how many licks does it take this... to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? One, two, three, 
Four. Four licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Four chevrons for this episode. Four chevrons. Um, you know, at the beginning of this, I was listening to you talk, and then I said, you know, clearly we disagree. Yes. Um, and then I said, here's why. And then I started talking about this episode. And then the conversation evolved. And now I can't say clearly we disagree. <laughs> because that's, I have improved this episode for you. Because that is my uh-huh. job. And I'm Yes, that's true. Oh. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I give this one so a four sh- as well. Hey, look at that. We landed right on the same spot. We got there from two different ways. Absolutely. Well, actually, no. I guess we got there from the same way. Turns yeah. out. It's just that I, I, I was over here. Yeah. And then you were like, no, no, no. Look at it this way. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot better. No, no, no. <laughs> Step over here to this side and look at it from oh, this way. Oh, now I can see it. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Brent. Yes. Our next episode of Stargate SG-1 is entitled 1969. Yeah. And so I ask you, what is 1969 about? (sighs) Do my best all along the watchtower as best I can, but I can't get into that sort of that wailing guitar solo that Jimi Hendrix does, so I'm not going to try. Um... Not without doing it severe injustice. The, Fair enough. The st- uh, next time on Stargate SG-1, the team walk through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. They find themselves all amongst what appear to be nothing but humans dressed in strange apparel, wearing headbands with beads and leather coats with fringes on them. Everybody walks around holding flowers and stuffing them into the ends of gun barrels. Hey, man, says one, why are you so uptight? Teal'c responds in his most Teal'c way. I am not tight. And so the SG-1 team engage with a world that seems to be forever stuck in the 60s. Is this Austin Powers? No. Could it have been? Maybe. Join us next time for Stargate SG-1 1969. All right. How'd I do? Yeah? Did I get it? Um, okay. I will refrain from commenting until after we have seen the promo. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Let's do Are this. Are you ready? Yes. Hitting go now. Next on Stargate SG-1, a ripple in time throws SG-1 oh. back to the 60s. Oh. We're the first people in human history to go back in time. I was not tell them trying to the avoid future, sir. this. You are Captain James T. Kirk the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> Our government doesn't take uh-huh, uh-huh. Star Trek joke. And a message nice. from the future. It's addressed to me in my handwriting. Oh my god. You oh gave my. me the note. It's Sir, General Hammond. General Hammond gave me a note. Are you gonna listen to yourself or not? Sends them on a psychedelic journey. Oh my gosh. Oh my I, I called that. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Far out. With just one ticket. <laughs> Far out. Oh my gosh, this is great. On the next oh Stargate no. SG1. Oh my gosh! Okay, all right. So I was I was kind of close. I mean, I you was know, definitely hamming it up. But. Well, you you said that they went to a strange world, and yes. let's be honest, Earth is a strange world. Yeah, Earth of yeah, the 1960s yeah. is probably even stranger. 
Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, probably yeah. not more strange, but just as strange. It, um, it definitely has its strangeness, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually slightly impressed with myself, too, because they could have gone with, like, the space missions and such, right? 1969 was a big year for NASA. That's true. Yeah. You know, they could have gone, you know, they, so the, they could have gone a bit more with uh, the less hippy-dippy and more countercultural aspect of the late 1960s. I mean, there's a lot of different directions they could have went, but nope, they went straight at hippies. So I'll go there with them. Woohoo! There you go. Um, so I will tip my hand. Yeah. 1969 is one of my favorite episodes of Stargate. Of the whole series? Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm not saying that it is necessarily one of the best episodes. Ah. It might be. Zach, is 1969 your bane? Uh, No. Is it is it is it so bad? It's good. No. Okay. Uh, I right, actually we'll go like through. it. We'll, uh, okay. I don't, we'll we'll talk about that next time. Yes. Yes. Um, we will. And so, there you have it. Okay. Um. I think that's all. So tell us what you think about show and tell. Yes. Tell us where we got it right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Say Brent was right at the very beginning and this should have gotten terrible stars. Yes. Or chevrons. Chevrons. Uh, and Zach was completely wrong to pull him off course and, and take him in a new direction because that's terribly <laughs> wrong. Uh, tell him that, that neither one of us got, got it quite right. And uh, this is, in fact, the best episode of Stargate on the planet uh, and deserves that coveted eighth chevron <laughs> tell us that this is just as bad as emancipation and deserves <laughs> half a chevron whatever it is tell us yes we want to know yes you can do that by going to facebook and posting on facebook and telling us what you think about the episode mm-hmm. you can do that by posting on twitter at mm-hmm. stargate walking tell us there or you can email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com mm-hmm So tell us what you think. Yeah, please do. And, you know, have fun. Yeah. Because that's And talk about about. it with each other. Yeah. Get that get that get that art appreciation flowing. That's right. Yeah. Look at it from different angles. Yeah. Man. Oh wait, that's next week. Yeah. Dude, peace. Is are are the Tokra gonna be back again, man? Yeah. The Tokra. Now we get to see the origin of the Tokra, man. (laughs) All right. So with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.